0: You know, we mainly think that Christ died to take us to heaven, uh, but the message of Hebrews 10 is that he died to take us to the holy place. Or to the holy places, as it says in the ESV, or to the holy of holies. Uh, The Jewish tabernacle had an inner sacred place called the holy place. It was the place where God made his presence most strongly felt or most strongly manifested, most powerfully manifested. In Exodus 25, 22, God said, there I will meet with you. There in this holy place, there is where I will meet with you. So the purpose of the blood of Jesus is to bring us into this direct meeting with God. The purpose of the blood of Jesus, as this passage reveals, is to bring us into this holy place, this place of direct meeting with God. The purpose of the blood of Jesus is to bring us into the full enjoyment of God's presence by getting rid of everything that hampers and hinders us from living confidently near to God. Verse 19 we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and since we have that assurance, let us draw near. That's the essence of this scripture. Jesus died so that you could live near to God now. Uh, Not so that we could pray once in a while, or I should say not just so that we could pray once in a while, not just so that we could Uh, worship uh, once or twice, maybe a week, not so that we could have an occasional spiritual experience where we feel close to God, but so that we could live in our hearts right near to God right now, every day, all of the way. Of course, Jesus died to bring us to heaven someday. But he didn't die just to bring us to heaven. And heaven is mainly going to be a full completion of the experience of meeting with God in the holy place that we have now. It's going to be the full-blown experience of meeting God in the holy place. We will go to heaven once when we die. But every day, we are to enter or live in this holy place. Entering this place of God's presence is an an invisible thing that we do in our hearts. But it is as real as walking into the door of your house. We direct our hearts toward God. With full assurance that the blood of Jesus has opened the door for us. And we go in and live by faith near to God in the holy place. For us to really understand what Jesus did for us and what he is offering us, what he's bringing us into, we must understand what being near God, what being in the holy place, what it feels like, what it means, and how it affects us. And the scripture is full of expressions of what this experience is like and just how good it is. David said, One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David had found a place of living where he experienced the Lord. He called it the house of the Lord. It was a place of confidence in God. It was a place free from fear, full of pleasure. And he said, this is the one thing I want in life. And I never want to leave this place. I found something in God, in my heart, in my relationship with God, and I never want to leave it. And he he wasn't talking about a literal house. He was talking about an experience in his heart with God. And the one place in life that has it all, the one experience in life that has it all, is when your heart is near to God. When you are near God, and there is no tinge of condemnation or fear, when there is no shadow of doubt about his love and acceptance and desire for you, when you have full assurance of faith that God is with you and for you and delights in you, life is good. I mean, it's very good. Matt Redman used uh, Psalm 84 to express this pleasure in God, and I think... I think his song, Better is One Day in Your House, is pretty much taken from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! For my soul longs, even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. For better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. And we, we've sung that here. I love that song. Is our experience of God perfect and absolutely full of full of joy and full of delight all the time? No, it's not. We we get overtaken by thoughts and emotions and, and fears at times. But once but once we have tasted living with God, we develop this passion for Him and we long to go there, and to stay there. And we say, as in Psalm 63, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And that's, that's why in Psalm 63 it says, oh God, you are my God. I will earnestly seek you, or I will fervently seek you. My own experience is that I am either enjoying God immensely or when I am not, I long for that. I thirst for that. And when I am not, I seek I seek to redirect my heart back to God, back to the presence of the Lord, back to the holy place. And Psalm 63 goes on to explain why we do that. Because your loving kindness is better than life. That's why. And because your loving kindness is better than life, we say, my lips will praise you, and I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, or the NIV says, as with the richest of foods. And my mouth offers praises to you with joyful lips. I think of you on my bed, and, or when I think of you on my bed, and m- I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. I mean, these, these are real experiences of the heart that they are talking about. These were people with, without cars, without big screen TVs, without iPhones, but they were just like us, seeking that thing in their hearts we call joy or satisfaction or security. And they testify boldly that they found that, they found all of that near God or in God. Even at night in bed and everywhere else we live life, we can enjoy God, we can be near to God. Francis Havergal expressed that in in an old hymn. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. And there's a song we sing here in church. There's there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing worth. No thing can compare your, our living hope, your presence, Lord. Paul wrote, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access into this place or into this or we've we obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Some translations say we rejoice, some say we exalt, some say we boast in God. So all these writers tell us what it is like to be near God. It is something so precious, it is something So powerful, something so satisfying, something that we so deeply need that it it can hardly be put into words. Well, what does all this have to do with Hebrews 10? Absolutely everything. (laughs) Hebrews 10 tells us how God bulldozes all the stuff away in our conscience and hearts that keeps us from living life with God. The blood of Jesus gets rid of the one thing that hampers and hinders us from living confidently near God. The one thing that would keep us from this experience of God is consciousness of sins. Even one shadow of doubt about our status with God can ruin all this. We need something that does not only partially remove our awareness of sin some of the time. We need what the writer of Hebrews calls a perfect conscience. Sam Storm said, the single overriding most debilitating factor that threatens to undermine everything in our Christian lives and in our relationship with God is the failure to understand, embrace, and enjoy the full and final forgiveness of our sins. Andrew Murray said, we need a conscience fully cleansed with the guilt of sin removed to an infinite distance. We need a conscience that can look up to God without a shadow of Of a cloud and this kind of conscience before God comes from having a perfect high priest who did a perfect job offering himself for our sins and who did a perfect work that brought about a perfect result in us a perfect work to cleanse our conscience and keep it cleansed forever it's not, it's not perfect because we're perfect and without sin or fault, but because his work is perfect to cleanse our conscience before God. Now, this chapter begins by telling us that the sacrifices under the law were, were never what God wanted, or they were never his final answer. They were only a shadow or, or a reflection of, Of the real blessings to come they were like looking at a picture of a new car in a brochure Christ is like that new car getting parked in your driveway with the keys in it Christ is the real sacrifice with real results that have a real effect in us in our hearts and our conscience he is able to bring about the real result that actually does cleanse or purify, relieve our hearts and our conscience of, this, of the complete and total burden of sin and shame and guilt and everything that would hinder us being and living close to God, from, that would hinder us from living in the holy place, as he puts it in this chapter. He actually puts away our sin, as the writer of Hebrews says. He puts away our sin once for all. Verse, verse 1 says The sacrifices under the, under the law, in other words, the Old Testament sacrificial system, where they, uh, uh, where they sacrificed lambs and bulls and goats, the, the sacrifices under the law, verse 1 says, can never make perfect those who draw near. But Christ did. <laughs> I mean that's the point. That those old sacrifices can never make perfect those who draw near, but Christ can make you perfect. Hebrews 9:9 says that the old sacrifices under the law cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But Christ did. Verse 14 says Christ by a single offering of himself has perfected or made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified verse 2 says if the sacrifices under the law had made us perfect would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins This, this 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 stuff is really potent it really is the old what, what he's saying is the old sacrifices, they would have stopped immediately if they were able to make the worshipers perfect and if they were able to remove the consciousness of sin. But those sacrifices didn't do that. The people did have, still have, consciousness of sins. In fact, Verse 3 says, In those sacrifices there was a constant remainder of sins every year. But the contrast is so obvious and it is so powerful and it's repeated all throughout this chapter. The contrast with the old is that the new is much better. Much, much better. The contrast is that Christ did make us perfect. The, The contrast is that Jesus did cleanse us perfectly. That Jesus did remove our consciousness of sin before God. In the infinitely better blessing that we have through Jesus, there is no more reminder of our sins. God himself promises that he will remember our sins no more or that he will not remember our sins again. An old, old Bible commentator by the name of Steinhofer said, How is the blood of Jesus better than the blood of goats and bulls if it cannot free us from the spirit of bondage and the evil conscience, if it cannot give us full, glad confidence before God? In other words, if we are not proclaiming that the blood of Jesus frees us from the spirit of bondage and from an evil or guilty conscience, we are saying that his blood is no better than the blood of bulls and goats. If we do not really get this, how fantastic, how complete, how perfect Jesus is able to work in our hearts and consciences by his blood, then we might as well go, go back to the blood of bulls and goats. I know it's a, I know it's a bold statement, but, but it's powerful. It, and, and, and he says, in effect, if we are not proclaiming that the blood of Jesus gives us full, glad confidence before God, we are saying his blood is no better than the Old Testament sacrifices. So we must, we must as followers of Jesus, as those who proclaim the name of Jesus, as those who proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we must boldly believe and preach to ourselves first and then to others the full power of the blood of Jesus as it is revealed in the word of God here in Hebrews chapter 10. Andrew Murray said the blood has put away the thought of sin from God. He remembers it no more forever. And the blood puts away the thought of sin in me too, taking away the evil conscience that condemns me. The better things which the blood speaks in heaven, it speaks in my heart too. And it lifts me into the heavenly sphere that new state of life and communion with god in which an end <coughs> in which an end has been made of sin and the soul is taken to the full and perfect enjoyment of the love of god <coughs> excuse me hear that so I'm going to say it again the better things which the blood speaks in heaven it speaks in my heart too it lifts me into the heavenly sphere that new state of life and communion with God in which an end has been made of sin and the soul my soul your soul is taken into the full and perfect enjoyment of the love of God I love these old commentators I, I hope you hear what they're saying. It is so powerful. It's such a, such a beautiful um, explanation or expounding of what the author of Hebrews is saying here. I mean, this is high and holy stuff. This is high revelation. I mean, these blessings are so good that most of us probably do not believe them even if we've been around the church and around Christianity for a long time. And I really think there's probably many of us right now thinking aware of sins, conscious of sins. Of course I am all the time. Aren't I supposed to be? Or perfected for all time. Who? Me? You've got to be kidding. This scripture will challenge you to rethink how you think about your sin and i hope it does i pray that it does this morning there are some incredible statements in the bible about forgiveness but i do not think there is any place in the bible that gives us a bolder statement of perfect forgiveness perfect cleansing of our conscience and perfect relief from the consciousness of our sins before God than Hebrews 10 and maybe 9 and 10 together. It is the mountaintop of New Covenant revelation about the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice and its impact on our hearts. This isn't something that Jesus just did a long time ago and what he did was really good. It was and it was perfect, but it, it, it has the power to make us perfect in conscience and our standing before God. You know, if you've consi- confessed your sins or may, maybe some, some one sin that hangs over you like a dark cloud, if you've consi- confessed your sins over and over and you still feel guilt and shame and you never feel quite clean enough or, or good enough, uh, to live near to God, then this this is a chapter I would encourage you to, to just live in for a while. Well, what could possibly happen that would take care of our sins so completely as to remove them from our conscience? Well, the writer of Hebrews says that it is because Christ came into the world and he became a sacrifice so pleasing to God that he settled the alienating impact of our sin, my sin and your sin, forever. Verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said, you, God, you did not want sacrifices and offerings, but you prepared a body for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you never took delight. In other words, all along, God knew this huge problem of our sin had to be dealt with. And all along, God was preparing for Christ to come in a human body. And that body, and in that body, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And he delighted, it says in the scripture, he delighted to do God's will. He said, I have come to do your will. I delight to do your will, O God. And the will of God for him was that he sacrificed his body, and that that sacrifice of his body would take care of our sin problem completely forever. Verse 10 And by that will, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then in verse 11 through 14. Uh, Christ's work, or his offering of his body is contrasted with the priest's offerings under the law. Uh, verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In other words, the priests kept, they kept standing. Why did they keep standing? Because there was more sacrifices to be offered. The priest kept standing because they had to get up and and do it all over again. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The offering of Jesus, the one, the one time offering of Jesus did the job that needed to be done for you and me so completely, so perfectly that Christ has sat down. The Old Testament priests, they were standing. (laughs) They were standing. Jesus has sat down. This is really important. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, all you need to do is remind him that Jesus is sitting down. When you come to God, all you need to know is that Jesus is sitting down. Jesus wouldn't be sitting down if there was one more thing he needed to do to perfect you, to cleanse your conscience, or to remove the awareness of your sins before God but he is sitting down because he did all those things. I was sitting in a, in a coffee shop in Panora uh, writing down these these verses and thoughts that I've just shared with you. And I just, I'm going to do it again here. Sorry, I'm so emotional. I just started crying and I couldn't stop. Yes. I mean, the tears just rolled down my face in this coffee shop. I don't know who else saw me there, but... Just the thought, Jesus is sitting down because he took care of all my sins perfectly and forever. And, and I, can have, I can have a c- pure, clean conscience before God, not because I'm perfect, because of the perfect cleansing work of Jesus for me. Jesus is sitting down. If your sins and failures loom up big before you, it's because that you've not really seen that Jesus is sitting down because it's done he did all the work that you needed done for you to deal with your sins i do believe that we that we need to have some sense of how much sin god has forgiven us okay uh, paul was aware of that never forgot in that sense and jesus said he was he was forgiven much loves much so 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 we have this comprehension that Wow God forgave us a lot and the Bible says we're to confess or acknowledge when we sin but on the basis of this passage we are not to live in constant awareness or consciousness of our sins before God that's the way they lived under the law Because the law, the sins under the the sacrifices under the law could not remove, it says, they could not remove consciousness of sins. But Jesus did. And we are supposed to live before God, knowing we are perfectly clean by the blood of Jesus. So so we so we come to God. And we, we can come to God. And and we can we can sing to him we can raise our hands to him we can tell him how good he is god you're so good god i love you so much and we can do all that completely free from the burden of thinking about our sins and failures and guilt before a holy god that's freedom i mean that is real freedom if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed. Francis Schaeffer in his book, True Spirituality, called this living moment by moment on the basis of the finished work of Christ. He said, as soon as I become aware of a specific sin, I at once call that sin, sin, and I consciously bring it under the blood of Christ. I say thank you, and my conscience is at rest. Are you living moment by moment on the basis of the finished work of Christ? We need to. Yes. We really need to. I, I mean, I'm telling you, that is what keeps us from, from living like David and expressing some of those things that I just read from the Psalms earlier about, man, you're, man your loving kindness is better than life. I, never want, I want to never leave this place being in your presence, God, is better than anything else. I just want to stay right here forever. And the end result of the work of Christ for us is that we have confidence to come to God with full assurance of faith. We are not hindered from God. We are not hindered from drawing near to God by anything verse 19 which is really brings us to the to the application of this therefore we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of jesus verse 20 says we have confidence to enter by the new and living way that he opened up opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh or through the offering of his body for our sins and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the application. Draw near. Not with fear. Or as Josh would say, not, not with our tails between our legs. I, I love when he says that but with full assurance of faith. The appeal is now direct your heart to God, approach God, come right on up to God, come near to Him with complete certainty about your status, knowing that your hearts are washed clean, knowing, as this verse says, knowing your bodies are washed with pure water. Uh, This this language of ceremonial washing communicates the complete cleansing of our entire person inside and out. It's a very it's a very beautiful thing. Because it's it's not just it's not just like God cleans something up down inside us. He I mean he washes us inside and out. He cleanses our consciences, he cleanses our hearts, our hearts are washed, our consciences are washed, even our bodies are washed. It's like as as an as an as a complete person body soul and spirit were washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus to such a measure that we can just draw near to God with full assurance of faith. We've been invited into the holy place where God is. Where God says, there, I will meet with you. And we're, we're invited to enter. We're invited to enter the holy place with, without, a sh- without a shred of doubt about our full acceptance. And I'm gonna wrap up here by repeating something that I said toward the beginning. And that's this, every day we are to enter the holy place. Entering this place of God's presence is an invisible thing that we do in our hearts. This is something that really nobody else can see you do. It's something that you do in your heart. As I said, it's an invisible thing that you do in your heart to enter the holy place but it is as real as walking in the door of your house. We direct our hearts toward God and we choose to do that. We actively, consciously, we we enter, we're invited in and we enter, we direct our hearts toward God with full assurance that the blood of Jesus has opened the door for us. And so we go in to that place. We go in through the door that Jesus opened by his blood. We go in and we live by faith near to God in the holy place. And this is something that we are continually doing. And, and it never gets old because God is like a never-ending river of delights. And that's actually a scriptural phrase from the psalm. I can't remember. That's Psalm 32 maybe I, I don't know for sure he is he is like a he is a river of delights and so we go into that place and we just seek to stay there and I say as it never gets old because God himself is like a river of delight and and when we don't feel that we're there and and there are times where, where we don't. Let's, let's, let's face it. We talked about this a little bit at Life Group. You know, just sometimes we, we're in those places emotionally, mentally, or their thoughts. What do we do? Well, we we change the direction of our heart and, and we say, God, you are my God. I will fervently seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And we direct our heart back into this place of communion with God. Back into, this, into the holy place. And we enter it again knowing that the blood of Jesus has op- opened the door. And so, so we live there. I, I know some Christians are just waiting to go to heaven. And we are. I mean, that's our glorious hope. But we're not just going to heaven. Jesus has has opened a place for us right now. Hebrews 10 calls it the holy place, the presence of God, where God will meet with us. And the appeal is to draw near. Draw near to God. Draw near to this place. The door's been thrown wide open by the blood of Jesus. Come and enter and live there. And I'm telling you, it's a really good place to live. It is a really good place. I mean, no wonder David said, uh, that's the one thing I seek. That's the one thing I'm after, that I may dwell in this place every day, all the days of my life. Jesus made a way for you to do it. We just need we just need to utilize that and by faith and with full assurance and enter into that and live there. All right, let's stand and let's and let's let's pray. And I'm going to pray, but you know I want you to pray too. This is uh, church is is is, is is about God speaking to us and us speaking to God, us meeting with God and we're, we're here this morning to, to meet with him. Uh, church is really all about uh, entering the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It really is. It's all about drawing near to God with confidence. So I don't know how God m- may have have touched you or spoken to you, or maybe what phrase or what scripture what verse was just maybe what you needed to hear but i I'm confident that you're everybody's here for a reason today, confident that God had has had something to say to you, has something to say to you, and Lord, we just every one of us here just individually say, God, if you have anything to say to me through this message, we ask you to make it clear, do the work that that you know needs done in my heart. We all say this. God, do the work that you know needs to be done in my heart this morning through this scripture, through the power of your word. Father, may we be a church full of people whose hearts are entering and remaining in the holy place of your presence. God, God, Open our eyes to, the, to the, these glorious truths of the new covenant, to the perfection, the completeness of the offering of Jesus for our sins to the point that it, it not only deals with our sins, but it deals with our hearts and our conscience and, and our consciousness of sins. God, we thank you for the, for the power of the blood of Jesus to deal with all this guilt and shame and sense of alienation that sin brought into our lives. Thank you for the, the, the power of the blood of Jesus to just bulldoze all this stuff out of the way and, and bring us into this place where we are, have such freedom before you. God, open our hearts to comprehend these things.